Welcome back to Single Payer Radio. Single Payer Radio is a project of Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. We are an affiliate of the the Physicians for a National Health Plan, Kentucky chapter is our affiliate. The views and opinions expressed here on Single Payer Radio are those of the speakers and not the station. For more information about Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare, you can go to kyhealthcare.org. Kay Tillo is our chairperson. You can reach out to Kay with suggestions or comments by emailing her at nursenpo at aol.com. That's nursenpo at aol.com. Our host for the program is our Dr. Mike Flynn and Dr. Eugene Shively. Dr. Flynn? Yeah, let me begin with the usual disclaimer that the comments that I'd make here are my personal views and do not in any way represent the views of the Department of Surgery or the University of Louisville. The comments that I make do not represent the views of Taylor Regional Hospital in Campbellsville, Kentucky, nor do they represent the views of the University of Louisville or the Department of Surgery at the University of Louisville. So our topic today is uh, telemedicine, something which I've learned uh, some things about and knew actually very little about before we got into this. And our guest speaker is uh, Mary Berry. I'm going to partly introduce Mary and then let Mary partly introduce herself. Um, Mary, I've known Mary for over 30 years. She's a practicing internist at, in the Norton system and was, uh, I think, recognized as one of the premier internists in the city. So Mary, explain to us how you got from being one of the best internists in the city to practicing telemedicine. Well, the two things, well, thank you for that compliment. And the two things are not actually uh, separate. I gave up my uh, large practice that I'd had for over the same over 30 years in December of 2019. I took January off 2020. In February, I started working for Norton's just as a float doctor. That meant I was the fill-in doctor. I would see whoever woke up sick, which is my favorite thing to do, sick people. And that worked great until COVID hit. Uh, and when COVID hit, we did not want you to come to the office if you were ill with any respiratory symptom or any symptom of COVID because it exposed too many people. We wanted to see you where you were. And so telemedicine from there. And Norton's did all the heavy lifting of the informed consent, the staffing, the fixing it up, et cetera. Hey, so I just had to do the doctor part. Yeah, it's great. So what we have done with uh, our other uh, guest speakers is give you an opportunity to make whatever comments you'd like to about the topic. So we're going to give you an opportunity to, you can just line out what you'd like to talk about, what you think is important, or whatever you'd like to say about telemedicine. And then when you're done, we'll begin the conversation. I hope telemedicine is here to stay. It will depend on the uh, continuance of the National Public Health Emergency Declaration at the moment. Uh, And that has been continued until April 21st. Uh, After that, it will depend on doing it over 
are uh, ending it all together. So we can continue every three months, we can keep having a national public health emergency, all the payment will seem, the regulations will be the same. But once that emergency is over, telehealth goes back to being what it used to be, which is only paid for by Medicare. If you live in a rural area and leave home and drive yourself to an approved health facility in your rural area to consult with an out-of-town expert. So far, that, that's all it used to be unless you count remote monitoring, ICUs, and that sort of thing. Uh, Gene, go, you want to start the, the first fire? Well, uh, how satisfied were you with it, using telemedicine? Did, did you think that you got a good history? And what about the uh, fiscal examination? Well, that's really all about patient selection. Uh, I can tell you about a guy I saw that he told me where he worked and I just turned that place in to the health department for uh, not wearing masks and not enforcing anything. Uh, and I, I could look at him and tell him he had COVID because I could tell by his eye, you know, there's a COVID eye. And as soon as he came on screen, he looked sick. I thought, oh no. And I, what I did for physical exam is got him to exert. I had him walk up and down the steps several times and he was gasping for breath. And I sent him immediately to the Ottoman ER. I told him to pull up and lean on the horn until the cops came out to check on him and to keep the window rolled up. Because that was all the physical exam I really needed. I had the eye and I had the exertion. And you know, I talked to him of course and told him a lot of encouraging things, but basically he had to get there quick before he ended up on the vent. So now were you seeing new patients? Were you seeing follow-up patients? I was seeing other people's patients because I was the float doctor. So mostly I saw people who had an acute problem or needed a quarantine work note for COVID, which was a popular cause, or uh, needed something, they had rashes, they had something that we could generally see. And anyone with a belly problem, I made them show up. It, it depended on the nature of the complaint. You know, with bad medicine to do things that require a physical exam, to do that on television is a very bad medicine. And so if I required them, they would come in. Uh, Mary, let's let's kind of go back to the basics. Um, and uh, I, one of the titles I've got here is hardware. So what what can you use or do telemedicine on? You've got your desktop computer, your laptop, a cell phone, an iPhone, a flip phone. All of those things, your iPad and just the telephone. Medicare is paying for phone only and all forms of video. And right now HIPAA um, has been... Uh, set to the side and no one will be penalized for any HIPAA violation by using Zoom or Skype or FaceTime or one of the non-secure links um, until the COVID pandemic and the national public health emergency crisis are all over. And so then they'll go back probably. Do you, if you were, if you had an option of prioritizing these various uh, uh, hardware uh, options, which way, you know, which would be one, two, three, and four in your opinion? Well, the easiest for people to use was FaceTime because they're used to Facebook. Sure. Um, and we, we could write our office note on the computer with the split screen and have them on the other side of the computer, have the visit going on. So Zoom or Facebook are pretty much tied, but the one that people had least resistance to using uh, was Facebook. So how did you decide uh, which which mechanism to use did you our call staff, our staff this is mike needleman's office i'm working out of all spring and uh oklahoma he had a fabulous staff and 
he, um, the staff figured out how to hook people up so that they actually showed up on our screen. And that would take, if, if you had a, a telemedicine appointment at 10, oh, maybe back quarter to 11 sometimes, we would have figured out how to hook the person up because not everybody uh, was e-competent. Sometimes you just had to talk on the phone, but they did all that hard part. So you, you had staff that would hook up the patient, like for example, on WhatsApp or Zoom or whatever. And then after they did all that, then you would get on the screen or, or the telephone and then talk to them. Right, and just the same as always talking to people, you know, I would start out with what's the matter and see what was on their minds to talk about. Now. Did the staff put in the past history, the review? Well, that was already in the Norton system. That's already in the uh, electronic health record. You know, it's in the Epic note. Okay. I, had, I have access to their medicines and their surgeries and their family history and all that is, you know, built into the computer. And I don't have to read people's handwriting, you know, of course, which is like mine, which is not readable. So <laughs> did you review that before you got uh, online with them? I would look at it, yes, especially when I'm waiting around. I always looked at it, especially allergies and, uh, you know, are they scary at all? What kind of medical past have they had? It, you know, as an 85-year-old frail lady that now has a hip issue, that could be major. She could have broken in and hardly known. So if it's real tiny. So basically, I always reviewed it. Okay. Do you think that you could do this alone or do you have to have backup medical staff who's an expert hooking them up. Alone if I signed up, say I got tired of just being a dog mother, I decided I would do telemedicine only. And I signed up to work on Teladoc or uh, AllMed. Those are platforms that you just hire on as an individual doctor and they supply the platform and stuff. I would be able to do it um, that way, which I don't because I don't, I don't like not having the option of examining a patient. I don't think that's good. Uh, Mary, what what um, specialties or medical disciplines are best suited for telemedicine? We've had uh, we had Jess Wright from psychiatry on uh, in the past, and recently had Rob Campbell, who's up in up in uh, Ohio doing addiction psychiatry, and they both indicated that these areas, you know, seem to be uh, reasonable things to do with uh, with telemedicine and i was thinking as i was driving in here this morning well, i spent the last 10 years doing thyroid surgery and you know evaluating people with thyroid nodules and goiters and things like that and uh i mean i don't see how this would work because i can't put my finger i can see your neck right on the screen but i can't i can't touch it and feel it and it will never replace anything that requires a physical exam to be adequate or good medicine it will never replace that right. it's the talking discipline social work and counselors and psychologists and then check up things like somebody sent home from the hospital and they've got 10 new heart failure medicines and they have to figure out how to weigh themselves and you can you can you know you can send uh, the doctor who discharged them can do a follow-up visit so they're talking to the doctor they already saw in the hospital and their nurse practitioner so follow-ups of all kinds that, that involve looking at the patient, but not having to touch the patient to really get an idea of how they are. Yeah, I think, and I'm just thinking, Gene, that, you know, 
I think post-operative visits to some extent would be reasonable to do some things uh, in telemedicine. I mean, somebody can pull their shirt up and show you their gallbladder scar. Yeah. or They, can, they do that with the spine surgeons and yeah. sometimes the other surgeons, they can look at their knee or look at their hip. Um, and you can ask your questions from the patient point of view. You're asking the doctor the question. You're not asking the therapist and hoping the therapist will remember to ask the doctor and report it accurately back. Okay. What about uh, the confidentiality and HIPAA laws? If uh, it, let's say uh, a year from now, this endemic has gone away, but we're still going to use uh, uh, telemedicine. Well, how will we deal with confidentiality and HIPAA laws? Well, there, um, there's a way to do that. There's an informed consent that the staff would go over, but the, um, there are um, ones, there are platforms that are already HIPAA compliant. One is Skype for Business, UpDocs, Zoom for Healthcare, uh, something from Doximity called doxy.me and the Google G Suite Hangout. That's just a list that I found, and they um, they already are HIPAA compliant. So we just have to work to make sure it's HIPAA compliant. In the rush to get online, they just said, "Let it go. Just talk to the person." But eventually, it will have to all be HIPAA compliant. What about uh, recording? Uh, let's say you're on Zoom, and you're talking to the patient. Are there pr programs that record the patient and record you? Well, if we originated the Zoom, I guess we could record it. I don't think that we did record it, but uh, maybe they recorded them all because of lawyers. I have no idea. You know, if later somebody sues me, they can say, this is what she actually said. It never occurred to me at the time. So it can uh, be recorded is the answer, but I don't know how it would be used. You've already uh, partly uh, addressed this next question that I've got, because it seems to me that uh, telemedicine is a, is a good option for one, um, underserved populations in either rural or urban areas uh, and older people yes. um, uh, who find it difficult to, to um, do the in-person visits for a whole assortment of reasons, whether it's physical, economic, transportation. But at the same time, these are the groups that are the least technically uh, savvy and capable. So you've got, on one hand, you've got the need, and then on the other hand, you uh, you don't do you or don't have the skill set. And I'm, and I guess you relied heavily on 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 your staff to do these things. Again, and now, on the other end, people who were really had difficulty communicating because they couldn't hear well or couldn't speak well or yeah. were, were beginning to lose it upstairs. They almost they had a family member with them who was better at handling the technical parts and answering the questions and making sure someone remembered the answers. Uh, but you can do nursing home visits can now be done. Emergency room visits have telehealth now. You can, you can do telehealth in any setting in any state. The interesting thing about the regulations is that previously you could only practice telehealth in Kentucky if you had a license in Kentucky, but because of the doctor and nurse shortage, Kentucky had an emergency declaration and will take any doctor from any place or any nurse from any place with a valid license there and let them work in Kentucky. So I can I could doctor people in Texas if I felt like. So give me this an all the national emergency. This is not normal operating. Right. I understand. Give me an example of how you would do an emergency room visit. If somebody calls in from their 
bedroom or their triage. It's uh, L.A. has done this. It's triage um, by the EMTs because right now the EMTs only get paid for a run if they transport the patient. And so they transport all kinds of people that don't really need to be transported. It requires all kinds of new payer agreements, and I'm hoping the new administration will help to fix that. But what they do is they get on telehealth with somebody in the ER, and the EMT says, it's this, this, this. And really, I think that they just need to go see the orthopedic surgeon tomorrow. There's nothing major. Um, and then they help arrange the follow-up to the orthopedic surgeon who's on call for the ER. And so that's a telehealth visit that you didn't have to transport, but then also they didn't get paid to do. So a lot of that is basically triage. Right. Except yeah. they got paid yeah, for right. the telemedicine yeah. part. They just didn't get paid. They can get paid for telemedicine, but, and not transporting. Right. Okay. If they just decide on their own, they don't get paid. Now who's theoretically going to get paid the ER, uh, EMS, the EMS. Uh, okay. EMS. And then, how do they get uh, an appointment with orthopedics? Because my experience in getting appointments with orthopedics right. has not been good. Because <laughs> the ER has it on call. You know, you have to take call if you're an orthopedic surgeon and privileges, you have to take call. And so the ER just, you know, they instead of they page Dr. Flynn for endocrinology, surgical oncology emergently, they would page uh, the orthopedic on call and get the get the person an appointment the next day as part of being on call duty okay so uh have you had success with that let's say somebody's having severe pain in their knee uh, and they do telemedicine and yeah. it looks like uh it's it's not it's an acute problem but not something that has to be seen today and uh so the ER gets an calls the office and gets an appointment. Now my experience right. is that they have in LA. They're doing this in LA for a while, but I don't here. I don't know if we do telehealth follow up uh, from the emergency room discharge COVID all COVID discharges, all heart failure discharges, um, and we have a, a virtual hospital at home set up for those people with oxygen and oximeters and all kinds of stuff and you know frequent check-ins but as far as the acute orthopedic problem I, i'm i'm reduced to begging like everybody else for that what what uh, what do you do uh, uh with a patient uh who you think uh has an acute emergency uh you just do you tell them a call the uh, EMS or yes. I mean, I, I've, I have sent ambulances to the house uh, and I have sent the person to the ER directly from a telehealth visit. Most of those were related to acute COVID illness. Uh, one guy, um, he he was having symptoms that were probably his heart and he was in great denial. And I told him it was his heart and it did in fact turn out to be his heart. But I sent EMS to him because he might need defibrillating and, you know, he shouldn't be driving himself to the ER. Uh, so it it instead of him driving here and seeing me, I just communicated with him telepathically, so to speak, and got the ambulance to him. He just needed somebody to tell him to call the ambulance. Okay. Did he call the ambulance or did you call the ambulance? We called the ambulance. You did? Yes. Okay. I kept him talking and I had him feel his pulse and I did other things, you know, until they got there just so that there's a person on the other end of his anxiety. Okay. What, what do you do if you have a technical problem in the home? For example, they're, um, they're on a Zoom 
and you lose the picture and you lose the audio. Uh, if we lose both, we're done. We have to hang up and try all over again. We can do without the picture, but we really cannot do without the audio because that's the advice part. Okay. So uh, sometimes we would just, we would just, it would be a phone call with a blank picture. Okay. The and then the people, your technical staff, uh, the, the nurses or the aides who are helping you, they usually take care of that. Yes. They would get the person all hooked up and then they would, uh, you know, call us on the little office phone and say, uh, so-and-so is on line three or whatever. I can't remember what we called it, you know, zoom three or zoom one. And then I would try to open the visit in the computer and there, there they were. It was really cool. Okay. And did, did you have a link to that visit or, and did the patient have a link or did they have a, yeah, I'm, I never asked those questions. I'm sorry. I should have, I was just happy to get them seen and, you know, go do something else. Cause okay. normally when you, you wake up sick people, you just go boom, 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 sick people all day. Okay. It sounds like that, uh, uh, you had your cake and eat, uh, was eating it too, because uh, <laughs> that's the way I would like to do telemedicine. <laughs> right. Somebody does, you know, it's like me and the electronic medical records. When I was practicing, I had a nurse put all that information in, and then I'd go in and talk to the patient. And I, I if I had to have a complete HNP, then I would use electronic medical records and what I dictated or what I'd written down to do that. But if it was just a follow-up visit, I would just dictate a note and they would put it on the electronic medical records. Oh, you're good. Mary, let's talk a little bit about finances. I'm, I'm, right. You've got, got the for-profit insurance companies, you've got Medicare and Medicaid, and then you have people who are uninsured and people who are underinsured. So right. um who pays for what? And if you if you do if you call somebody calls you get a Zoom meeting with somebody who's uh, got some cardiac problems and they have some questions and you talk for ten or fifteen minutes, what happens next? Do you sub and and they've got four they've got Anthem. So do you send well, a bill to Anthem? The, the original CARES Act and the second CARES Act both provided uh, funds to help set up telehealth. To, so that from the provider end, but all of those things are paid for by, by if, if Medicare covers it, Medicaid covers it, and it, all the other things cover it. So for a typical visit, if you have Anthem, you have to pay your office copay. The doctor or a psychologist or nurse practitioner is paid the same as always for that quote level of service visit. So it's, it's indistinguishable in the pay structure uh, as far as telehealth. And if you're uninsured, I don't know that you can get an appointment with a, an organization like Norton's. You probably have to be seen, you know, with the, the homeless clinic of some kind. Now, I've listened to a couple of podcasts about this in order to get some knowledge so I could ask you some intelligent questions. <laughs> and, and one of the things I've learned with some of these is that they're different. This is different things in different states. Yes, this and, is and Medicare. I mean, now, and that's my question: Is uh, did I understand it correctly that Medicare and Medicaid cover different aspects of this in different states? And can you give us a couple of examples of? No, I mean that I don't know. Yeah. Um, Medicare is national, so if I think that I really don't know. I know that it's covered at the same levels. And that's by, by the uh, waiver, the 1130, section 1135 waiver 
which was the de declaration of the public health emergency by Secretary Azar and Trump, President Trump, that's what got it all started. And so they've kept, they've said they will continue to pay it the same. The patient cost sharing is the same it would be, but I have not looked into other states. So if if, if you do that, you sub, you submit a bill with a code on it, does it? Yes, it has a, there's a code for telehealth that you code separately. And then the insurance company then collects the copay from. Right. And then proceeds to reject it or accept it or whatever they normally do. All right. So does the office collect that copay, or does the uh, the insurance company collect it, or uh, the office collects the copay? I think, and the okay. yes. Okay. Now, can a uh, primary care physician uh, uh, break even by doing telemedicine? I don't know. There's the stock of both telecom, uh, teledoc, and Allmark are both up. Uh, Taladoc stock is way up. And I think this says to me that there are enough doctors doing it to, and nurse practitioners, I guess, who, and psychologists, you know, it's a whole lot of different people. There are a whole lot of different people uh, to make somebody money. But I don't, I've not tried to figure out what your salary would be in the ads. They say you would make it, you know, three or four figures, a lot, five figures sometimes, just doing telemedicine. Uh, so it's there's a whole lot of it going on. So I think it must be profitable. Is my point. And how 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 do the the um, <clears throat> the option of calling again? And my question is an example of my ignorance about this. If if um, if you're when you were in clinical practice, if one of your patients ended up calling some some telemedicine option uh-huh yeah how, how do you try to work out the relationship between the the sort of person's usual provider and then huh. whoever they get in touch with to do whatever they want to do when they decide to do this telemedicine Most of those visits have a share option at the bottom please share this information with you know and they they just could have put my name in my office so uh, you, you would get a copy of if the patient, the patient that is patient directed, if the patient wants me to get a copy. Oh, OK. Well, that's interesting. Huh. And did you send that to the re, uh, referring physicians or I mean, uh, consulting physicians to say uh, this patient, I had a pulmonologist and a neurologist. You send all this information to them too. To them, if there's a couple people, I probably would have written a letter, sent a letter and you know called them if it was urgent. Okay. But I probably would have just written a note so they don't have to read all that stuff. I can just tell them the, you know, epic notes or masterpieces of, of boring, repetitive data. So yes, I, I yeah. write a letter and say, here's what's important. Yeah, but I, by experience, most people don't do that, write letters. They, they <laughs> just send all this voluminous uh, information and it takes... Uh, huge amount of time to find what you need. And sometimes right. you can't even find what you need. Right. So I, I preferred letters that they were old fashioned, but more effective. Yes, I, I agree 100% on that. I wish we had more doctors like you. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, mistakes and malpractice and those issues. Uh, Gene and I have both been surgeons for many years, and as we all know surgeons get sued. 
sometimes for things that didn't work out so well and sometimes for crazy things that you wouldn't even expect. So um, I, I, my question, again, this is a question out of ignorance as much as anything else, but uh, uh, what are the issues related to, suppose you make a mistake and, and you miss, miss something or how, how does that work with the medical, what's the medical liability issue? This in, has been looked at in the usual, you know, if you're not uh, exercising usual and proper judgment, you know, then you can be liable. So I guess it's an argument uh, to record all of them. And so that you have in your defense, what you actually said, although if you're wrong, it could end up hanging you. Um, but you would testify what you actually said anyway. So but it, it has been looked at and it's the same as an in-person visit, except they have video of you saying it. So all, all of these uh, telehealth contacts, whether it's a Zoom. It or, can be recorded. Whether it's recorded, I don't know. Okay. Well, that, that was, so who makes that decision? And If I had a real contentious person who was unhappy, for instance, the, the patient herself is okay, but she's got a 65-year-old really horrible son that I hate his guts that uh, pushes his mother around and so forth. Uh, I might record that visit. Okay. You know, it depends on it depends on the situation what I would choose to record, and I would have to have permission for you know to record it. So there's not a medical record, as there is when. There's an there, there's a medical record, but not a video record unless Norton's put that into Epic. You know, I can't access Epic anymore. Okay. I mean, I'll find out from Mona Lisa Taylor or somebody if they if all yep. those Zoom visits are recorded. But there's you're right a note. You know, I'm sitting there typing and talking just the way I would in the office. Oh, I write the oh, note oh, as I go through the oh, visit. I, I didn't didn't realize. Okay, that. so okay. so you're in addition to talking to the patient, you're 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 writing a note also the whole the whole time i'm writing a note looking things up and talking to them and yes so, okay so, so the only difference is you're just not face to face you're just on a uh either a audio or a, a telemedicine plus uh, audio right we are distant you know but connected okay so are there other ways of doing this can can you uh can you make uh, make this conversation a permanent copy or uh, can you uh, d dictate a note after your telemedicine conference? Or? Well, just the way doctors practice. I mean, I had to do it as I went or I would never, ever, ever get through my day and I would forget details. So I had to type as I went. Um, and some people have no, I'm seen, I've, when I was a student, I trained with doctors that would walk out of the room and talk into the little tape recorder real fast for 10 minutes. And that was how they did it because they had somebody else to type it. Um, right. But that, that's just individual doctor preference and you know what your office has capability for. Okay. Uh, I want to change subjects just a minute. And what about using telemedicine uh, for um, uh, consultations? For example, uh, in the past, and I think we're still doing it, uh, we've used uh, tele, uh, robot and telemedicine uh, for consulting uh, neurology, uh, uh, pulmonary medicine, and maybe you've got a patient in the ICU. We don't have a full-time pulmonologist, and we've got a patient who's not doing well. And uh, we, we've been fairly successful in consulting yeah. a pulmonologist, 
uh, from Louisville, and they can give us some advice. And it's actually worked uh, pretty well. It is. It's great. Uh, Dr. Carrie Remmel, the chair of neurology at UofL, she right. started her robo docs, you know, back in 2009 and doing um, so that the doctor at the bedside, say in your ER with a person that has a stroke syndrome can do the exam uh, guided by the neurologist talking to them on the screen. And they can say, you know, they have to stat flight that person. This person needs to have the clot lysed if possible, or, you know, there's something major happening, get them out of there. Uh, or they can just say this, 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 you know, aspirin plavix. Um, the other thing that they do, the pediatric side, they do pediatric neurology consults uh, for a lot of places in the mountains and uh, really small little facilities that ha haven't seen a live neurologist in many, many years. And the patient, instead of having to pack up a special needs child, the patient, you know, the patient's mother can just take them to their regular doctor and then they can do the visit that way. And so it's, it really helps families who have disabled adults or children or just special needs kids um, and people that don't have to leave the comfort of their, of their familiar places. So it's a brilliant idea, but she's been, she's been doing it a way long time. She was actually in, Dr. Remmel was in the newspaper in April uh, saying, please come to the ER if you have a stroke, because everyone's afraid to go to the ER and everyone's afraid to go to the doctor in person. Um, yeah. And she's pleading with them so that they would not end up worse. We've used, utilized the UofL Stroke Center for years, and uh, uh, th that's been very helpful to us. And also pulmonology has been very helpful. Uh, and I hope we can expand that, those services because it is a real difficult uh, problem to uh, get people to go to tertiary care centers uh, for routine problems. So in our tumor board yesterday, we had a patient uh, who had had a liposarcoma and he did not want to go back up to University of Kentucky. And so uh, telemedicine be a great way to take care of that patient. Right, All right. When you have to be there, you have to be there. But if you don't have to be there and you can get it done well, then it saves everybody gas money. It's good for the environment. Uh, and the person is really, especially in psychology, uh, the psychologists have all said the person is much more comfortable in a home environment and opens up better. And the, the therapy seems to be progressing a little faster and better. Um, nobody wants to leave home unless they have to, I think. Sure, Mary, how about the prospects of, of, of virtual monitoring, things like EKGs, uh, blood sugars, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, with blood pressure. What, yeah, what, we do that already. The, the, like the heart failure patients, all that stuff is monitored. They, they have a machine to take your blood pressure. They have a scale that transmits your weight. Um, and the, the glucose monitors the, the, for the uh, people that have really brittle diabetes, they will transmit the blood sugar to, the, like to your mom or to your husband or your best friend, somebody who will let you know when it's gotten low and check on you. Uh, so we do all that already as part of the, they call it the virtual hospital uh, or virtual transitional care. It has different names, but we do all that stuff already. And what's best is if you can get the home nurse, the visiting nurse and the telemedicine uh, doc, referring doc together on a visit, then you've got the nurse actually there asking questions and pointing out that this medicine bottle is completely full since they... <laughs> There, there are no none of those new heart failure medicines seem to be missing from the bottle. Well, I, what I, the virtual monitoring I was thinking about is was can somebody stick their finger and have some gadget that will transmit the blood sugar to you? 
I don't know if a finger stick will, the sensor will do it. Uh, you can transmit an EKG from your Apple watch pretty yeah. much. Yes. Uh, and so there's something called Cardia, you know, that you buy that hardware that, that you reads put, it. You put the virtual ICU is really interesting way, especially out West because everything is so far apart. There are a whole lot of hospitals that are barely hanging on and many more have died because of COVID. Uh, they're barely hanging on and there is not in miles, hundreds of miles. And so you have, they, they hook up with the team of ER experts and ICU experts. And so the ER expert, they, they have the rooms wired for sound. They have ultrasound machines there. They have all kinds of lighting. And the expert will talk on the microphone as you, the nurse, intubate the patient. Or, you know, you go through the code together. You set up the ventilator together. The nurse is doing all the actual touching of the patient and arranging everything. And they're directed continuously uh, by teams of ICU docs and ER docs, you know, that take shifts. So that, that has kept a lot of people alive, especially out West and in the South. Is that, okay, <clears throat> but how, how, how about the technology of, of a kind of a direct, direct, the information, you said you can get on a scale. Now, if you get on the scale, does that mean that the nurse happens to be in there and looks at the number on no, the- No, I think they issue you sometimes, there are places that issue you a scale that will uh, send a signal. You know, it's like a little radio. It will tell you what it has. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Alexa. You know, Alexa hears everything you say. <laughs> well, I don't have that. I <laughs> avoided, <laughs> avoided as much technology as possible. <laughs> there are portable scales that you can buy. They're not that expensive. No, well, and, and we'll give that information. Well, thanks. you can also do EKGs that way. Yeah, the iPhone I, can do it. My wife has it. Yeah. But you got to be careful. I mean, the uh, several weeks ago, she, she, I think she had gastroenteritis and uh, had a tachycardia, and we checked it out, and it looked like it was atrial fib, but it really wasn't. <laughs> right. Beware the platform. <laughs> okay. Um, as you know, we we are we represent. Um, uh, and we represent, we're sponsored by um, a group in town here, the Kentuckians for single payer. Right. So let's look down the road a little bit, uh, assuming that uh, that the Biden administration is able to get something done. Uh, there are two possibilities. One is a public option, which would allow people who are under 65 to get some kind of public insurance, exactly what that would look like obviously would depend upon whatever the negotiations were, how that would, whatever compromises are made. And the other option, which we feel is a better choice would be Medicare for all. Um, where would you, you know, could put your forward-looking hat on, and where would you see telemedicine or telehealth activities fitting into either or both of those possible changes of healthcare in this country? I think they would have to be in both of them because, first of all, they're wildly popular with Americans; they love them. Uh, uh, the AMA polled a bunch of doctors in December and upwards of 70% of the doctors said, who are AMA members said, yes, they love telehealth too, uh, because it's just so damn convenient. Um, and it's so quick. You can, once you're set up, you can, if somebody calls up and you're not sure if they need to come in the office, you can at least look at them and think, oh yes, you have to show up. 
So it helps doctors make better decisions. So I think it should be part of uh, both of those things. And I think it will be part of both of those things, but they're going to have to figure out the payment uh, a lot. Right now, they just kept it all the same. And you know, the coding just changed for 2021. So there's a lot of government finagling that's going to have to be done to continue telehealth or we'll go back to only if you live in the country and have driven to your local uh, health department. So Now, did you do any telehealth when you were in clinical practice? I did the the February through May of 2020. Well, I'm I'm just trying to figure out how how that would work if you are in an office, you're seeing patients, X number of patients every 15 minutes or whatever the bean counters want, you know, want you to do. Right. So how do you then you go home and turn your computer on and then spend the next five or six hours doing doing telehealth and then go to bed at two o'clock in the morning? No, I guess if you were trying to make money on the side, you would do that. But most of the if you work for a big system, you're not allowed to do that. You know, it's you're you're supposed to be there. All services, medical services are supposed to be, you know, on their dime only. Right. Um, But the it. It's the same as seeing a person in the office, except they're not there. It's really the best way. Every, you know, the payment is the same. The structure is the same. It's simply at a distance. Um, and it's really patient selection and medical judgment that make or break it. Have, have you had a problem with medications? I know some of the Medicare patients, uh, I actually saw a patient that was on 50 different medicines one time, but oh, it's not right. an unusual to be over 10. Do you have to spend a lot of time on that or do you allow your nurses and then they ask you questions? How do you deal with that? Well, Norton's has it set up so nurses' aides can check on the medicines. And most of my partners and I did not allow that because, you know, as internists, we give a fair amount of medicine and I wanted to make sure that was correct. So I always went over all the medicines with everybody. Um, on these telehealth visits, this is someone else's patient who had already, you know, I would go over their medicines just to make sure that they, to see if they had any idea what they were taking and why they were taking it. You know, very briefly, I would just read off the names of the medicines and tell me, yes, 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 yes. Um, but I, I, I think it's too important a job to be left to an aide and an assistant because they don't really know what medicines are, or which ones don't go together and which ones are duplicates and which ones should, et cetera. You need you know, knowledge to be a good medicine list checker. Now, how do you deal with um, the dispensing uh, controlled substance in, in the virtual setting? There's a special, there's a special, uh, um, the DEA license is by state, but there's a special dispensation for this that we have that says essentially ask yourself whether it is more likely it will be dangerous to prescribe this virtually or it is more likely the person will die from COVID, um, which was acquired in your office. That's what it actually says. So we're allowed to dispense virtually to people who have good records. You know, they show up every three months and they. Uh, they pee in the cup when they're supposed to, and they've signed the contract, and we have run the Casper, all the rules. But it's your it's your judgment that it's safe to do that on an ongoing basis, as opposed to make them show up and possibly get sick. So you could see someone <clears throat> as a Zoom? Yes, also for... And then uh, you would then... Uh, virtually or, 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 or get on the phone or have somebody in the office 
uh, send their prescription for an opioid or whatever control. Right. You, would, you would e-prescribe it, the refill. To, to uh, the to do yeah. New medicines, um, most of the time that wouldn't come up with us that we're giving opioids, you know, to a brand new patient. It's just who calls it, you know, that, that, that doesn't sound like something we would probably do. Because well, it seems to me, if you were looking for drugs, that would be a great way to do it without having right. to without having to get into a whole bunch of issues with people. Just call right. up, make up and a I good story. It, you know, it's a three day limit on what you can give. But I don't. I think if you're the ER doctor and somebody has a horribly sprained ankle and you know they're allergic to ibuprofen, you know that that would be an in person visit or a telehealth with the EMS visit the way they do in LA. I can't imagine a situation a normal primary care doctor would do that. Do you remember uh, one of the issues that came up with our addictive medicine was that the patients couldn't get in to see their doctor, couldn't get their right. routine right. narcotic. Right. Yeah. And so they were going out buying it on the street. They were right. getting medic narcotics that uh, had fentanyl in it and it was right. ending and up an overdose and death. Yes. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, as we all know, folks that are into the, these addictions, the, they they find all kinds of ways to to get get drugs. And it seems to me, just thinking about how this this virtual process works, that right. you know, if you were if you were smart enough and combed your hair and shaved and looked like you were a, you know not a not a down and outer and, and came up with a good story, you might be able to get a couple get a thing here or there. I mean, if you, if you had, if you call four different people, four different uh, um, telemedicine options uh, with a story that seemed to be reasonable, I, I would say you could, you should be, you could get four different prescriptions for yeah, I, I, think, I think help. Doctors are so frightened of overprescribing opioids at this point. Uh, and first of all, you would look at the Casper report and see how many different people had been giving them medicines in the state of, you know, in Kentucky anyway. And then we can look at Indiana's inspect report. So I, I think that that is uh, likely some years ago, but not likely in the current climate, unless you're out to make money by giving prescriptions, in which case, you know, telemedicine would be your goldmine. Now, one of the other things that I've I've noticed from my um, <laughs> the podcasts that I've been listening to, I sit on my uh, uh, Airdyne bicycle because that's <laughs> what I was doing. That <clears throat> the telemedicine, I, I, I they, seems to be an entrepreneurial activity. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people out there who look at this as a way to make money. So then the question is, it's like it's like the for-profit health insurance companies who have figured out ways to take enormous amounts of money out of the healthcare system, right? Uh, as Gene has shown us, uh, that not to be used for healthcare, but used for something else, right? So I, I get the question is, and maybe it's a rhetorical question, but how do you balance the benefit uh, to the entrepreneur, which is to make money? and the public uh, or the citizens who are uh, looking for good or better health care. I don't, I don't know that you can weed out the bad actors unless you turn them into the state medical association and you do legal things. I don't know if that is a solvable problem uh, because there are people who will 
do visits, you know, 12 hours a day and make a lot of money doing it. But whether they give any useful advice, I don't know. But I also don't know what goes on in the exam room next door to me with my partner giving advice. I know my partner, but I don't know what advice they gave. So I don't think that can be fixed unless no one ever turns in the bad guys. You know, the patients need to turn in the bad guys uh, for that to happen. Well, apparently there are companies that are that are figuring out different ways to do different kinds of of entrepreneurial, you know, virtual health telehealth. There was there was one podcast I was listening to about a physical therapy <clears throat> and talking about right. the different ways that they're doing physical therapy, which doesn't sound like a bad thing to do at all. But they were also talking about the different ways that they were making money doing this, and and <clears throat> so I'm 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 trying to figure out how to how does how do you how does that balance work? Because uh, again, to go back to the for-profit insurance companies, they back in the in the '90s when they when all of this came crashing down, they figured out that uh, they could get away with. Uh, having uh, 15 different programs and charging people a whole bunch of different rates, cherry pick, cherry picking young people. Right. And <clears throat> so I, I'm just wondering wh where, where does telehealth go with the, uh, a example that we have of healthcare in this country where the quote, the competitive medical marketplace is magically going to make all of this stuff work. All right. Well, which is we all know doesn't. Right. Well, it, I mean, I, I think probably they don't do any Medicaid to begin with. Uh, they have sliding scale fees for such and such, uh, you know, initial consultation, second consultation. Uh, and some of them might not accept Medicare, but most all, all of them accept Medicare that I know of. But there's not a way to fix that because this is America. I mean, capitalism is just going to reign for a good while. Uh, they're going to want to make money. I don't know that you can do it and have a real office doctor job, you know, a real surgical doctor job. I don't know how much time you have for that sort of thing, but I don't think there's any way to fix that unless we start, unless the patients who feel like they're on the raw end of something, you know, start pointing it out. Well, that's what, that's why I was wondering about the, you know, the public option issue and the medical medical care for all issue, because if we ended up with, some kind of system like that, right? Yeah, as thirty-five other first-world countries around the world have, <clears throat> the the um, the power of of the the entrepreneurial for-profit insurance companies are weakened. Yes, yeah, but one option the the Medicare wants you to have a preferred provider. You know, they want you to have a home base. And right now, it doesn't matter if you have a home base because of the national public health emergency. But when that's over, they're going to go back to wanting you to have a home base. So you can't just sign on and expect Medicare to pay for, you know, some doctor out of Atlanta or Chicago. You're going to be signed. You're going to have a your own person that is your person. Uh, and that would cut down on some of that. But right now, we don't care. Whoever will doctor you from afar is going to do it. I was just listening to a, a program yesterday where the equity companies are already into primary care. And it's a, the, the emphasis is gonna be on outpatient care and the equity companies are heavily involved in the last year and in becoming more involved this year. 
So we're switching from hospital-based to outpatient-based, and the excess money is going to go for profit. Well, it's going to go in the shareholders' pockets. That's where it's right. going to go, the way it always works. <laughs> and then they're going to make demands, you know, putting quotas on you and all kind of horrible things is my prediction. I don't know. Okay, <clears throat> Mary, we're getting close to the end of the lollipop right. here. Uh, let me ask you one more question about uh, telehealth or telemedicine and nursing homes. Uh, do you have a sense of how it works in that setting? It's the same as in the office. So that, say my patient ends up in the nursing home uh, and the nurse is alarmed by something and the nurse calls the nurse practitioner who tells her on the phone to get me in a telehealth visit because the nurse practitioner is busy at the other location of that nursing home chain. Um, so then I do a telehealth visit with the nurse at the bedside of my patient in the nursing home. Okay, so, so that's going on already. They haul a computer or a cell phone into the you, Yeah, you, you just need an iPad or something yeah. like it. Okay. Uh, okay, I, I guess that's handy for that because I know what they look like when they're well. Has that Oops. worked out fairly well in the times you've done it? Uh, I've only, I've had only done it a couple times. The people who do it all the time like it because uh, the nursing home doctors like it because generally they go to three or four places and they're supposed to see people. There's all these rules how often you see people and nearly all of it is delegated to nurse practitioners. Um, but this way they can actually do more of it themselves without having to get out of their uh, Tesla. So. And how how do <clears throat> how does the how does the how does the reimbursement process work with that? Uh, it's still the same. It's the same as Medicare would pay for an in-person visit throughout this public health emergency. And okay. when that's over, you know, I think all hell's going to break loose about whether it will be covered the same or covered with differences. I, you know, that's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of arguing and legislating to be done. Okay, so the nurse practitioner calls you about the lady in room 62, takes you right. on the cell phone, and you go into the room, and the, the lady is demented lying in the bed, and you discuss right. some questions, and then uh, then you just submit your bill in the usual way. The nursing yes. you know, I can have her, I can have her, like, check for CVA tenderness or belly. You know, I can have the nurse or him do something. Um, and th then you submit the bill the same way. It's considered the same as in person throughout this time. Right. It's if you just walked in there and done that, the nursing home doesn't get any, doesn't have any piece of that pie. Uh, no, and the nursing home, they have a liability issue because uh, I'm not on their staff. So that, that doesn't happen very often. It's pretty much when someone is desperate to get a hold of somebody because nobody else is answering. Um, and they'll talk to the patient's daughter and they'll say, well, you know, call Dr. Lynn. Dr. Lynn knows this patient. And then they would call Dr. Lynn because the nurse is desperate uh, because we're seeing them from outside. We're not practicing inside the facility. So it can, it can be done, but the nursing home liability people don't like it. Then do you have a liability who just, you just get happened to get called and you've never seen this patient before and you're looking at them uh, through a cell phone? I wouldn't, I wouldn't happen to get called from a nursing home. That's not a call I would accept. Oh, okay. But you can get credentialed at, at each nursing home. If I wanted to, I could, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Mary, 
we want to thank you very much. This has really been great. We, we, I've learned a lot. I think Gene knew yes. a lot more about this than I did because he dealt with it some more being down in Campbellsville. But we are very grateful with your willingness to thank talk with us about this. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. We appreciate your help. Uh, thank you, Gene. Tell Gertz we said hello, and I'm really happy I don't have to be looking at his face on advertisements. <laughs> I, I will make sure he hears that <laughs> in any magazine. All right. <laughs> All right. See you. Okay. All right. Dr. Dr. Barry, thank you very yes, much. Sir. And thank you, Mark. Our listeners can hear single payer radio each Monday at 2 p.m., Tuesdays. Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. and Wednesdays at 11 a.m. You can hear us broadcast live or by stream. Or if you missed the episode, you can go to forwardradio.org. Want to uh, thank our guest and as always, uh, Dr. Flynn, Dr. Shively, again, for more information about Kentuckians for single payer health care, you can go to kyhealthcare.org. Uh, Harriet and Kay keep the Facebook uh, page for Kentuckians for Single Payer Current. Always some good information there. Okay, guys, till next time. Again, okay. thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. Bye, you all. Bye. Uh -huh.